Buckle up, Buttercup, because this is the Untitled Nerdy Chat Show with me. I'm your host. I'm Brian Brown Duke. With me today in the upper right box of legendariness is Paul Lefebvre. How do you pronounce your last name, Paul? Is it? Is, did I get it right? Is it Lefebvre? Not, no, not even close. But I, I, I was, I was anxiously waiting to see how you would maybe mess it up because someone always Lefebvre. Lefebvre. It's silent, awesome looking. Silent B. So it's just Lefevre. Sounds cooler than it looks. Lefevre? Yeah. I was so far off. Paul. Paul writes the go-to 10 publication over on Substack, which uh, tell everyone what you cover there, Paul, because it's amazing. Uh, yeah, I've been doing uh, go-to 10. It's go-to10retro.com on Substack now for almost two years. The two-year anniversary comes up next month. And I started off writing about Atari uh, retro-related things, mostly so computers. Atari. <laughs> I'm a computer nerd. For a little while, I started doing a few other non-Atari things, but I realized I have so much Atari yeah. stuff and knowledge that I'm just focusing, I'm doubling down on the Atari. So it's all Atari all the time at GoTo10, pretty much. And if I write about stuff that's not Atari, I usually will find a way to, you know, relate it. Make some Atari. You can just shoehorn yeah. the Atari-ness into it. Can yeah. That I love that you focused on the Atari because nobody gives decent coverage of old Atari computers, like there's no one doing it. You're you're it. You're the you're the yeah one. yeah. It's you're definitely Commodore gets all the love for for the '80s era for the home computer scene, at yeah. least here in the U.S. And uh, so Atari does get uh, you know overlooked. It does. And in the bottom right corner, the one, the only Bradford from abort retry failed. Bradford, Bradford, say hello to the universe and tell everyone where they can hello. get your amazing publication. Um, yeah, so it's www.abortretry.fail. Um, I love that you include the WWs. Everybody, WWW stands for World <laughs> Goodness gracious. Well, there is a reason for that, though. The non triple dub uh hits a server here at home and then redirects, so. You know, I you'd rather them hit the WWs. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everyone, don't go to abort retry.fail. Just go to the WWs. All right. All right. Yeah. What, what, what do you cover? Because it's amazing. Tell everyone what you talk about. Um, <clears throat> pretty much any <laughs> anything in our tech history. Like, I don't. Here, let me he's, tell he's you guys what Bradford talks about. Uh, <laughs> he just had a two-part history of Debian article. He's got yeah. a history of Windows. He went through the history of Windows 2.0, the history of Windows 95, all these different things. He even had a history of Windows Millennium Edition, which yeah. triggered so much PTSD in me. <laughs> it was just unreasonable. And so... Yeah. I highly recommend it. It's it's it is one of the better publications out there for over on Substack, and that's the, the yeah, eventual go goal is to chronicle the entire industry basically from its start at World War II um, through probably the year two thousand. So um, just little tiny goals, little itty bitty goals yeah. that should be no big yeah. deal. Yeah, right? small goals. Yeah, um, the. <laughs> The, I, I guess the reason it's difficult is because my readership overwhelmingly loves my coverage of operating systems. Of course, uh, it's fun. Yeah. So, I 
I feel a lot of pressure once people start giving you money to focus on the things they like. Eh, the, ignore you know, them. What do they know anyway? <laughs> Stupid subscribers. Um, yeah, I, I always get that. You get that pressure, you know. You're like, oh, I'm going to write a post people are going to like, and then and then you find out, oh, they didn't like the one you thought they would like, and then the one you you throw off the cuff real quick because you ran out of time is like one of your most popular ones. It's really hard to predict, but yeah. I, I keep in my mind, I write what I want to read. So a lot of my stuff is just written for me. It's just I want to remember this. I want to refer to this. And I know Bradford, you're doing some cool ton of research and the history stuff. You know, I can bang out posts much more quickly than you can, I'm sure. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, Bradford's articles, they get pretty, pretty deeply researched. I mean, I, respect, respect across the board. It's nice. <clears throat> anyway, you, you, you two guys have some of my favorite publications uh, for reading the retro news and the computer history news. Uh, there's a lot of people on YouTube and whatnot that talk about retro computing or retro history, but you can it feels like they just don't really know what they're talking about. You know what I mean? Like it's like they didn't live through it or they didn't really research it that heavily. They just kind of loaded up Wikipedia, created some talking points and then recorded a YouTube video about it. And then that's cool and all, but you guys actually like get in there deep. Like some of the articles you've written, Paul, uh, I mean, you cover like, specific like basic implementations of uh from 8-bit atari computers that you can tell like it just flowed from your soul like you just knew yeah well you know, and I, I love that well i just it's many ways it's the opposite of what bradford's doing because i don't tend to do a lot of research a lot of my stuff <laughs> is stuff i experienced so it's like i'm just writing from what i remember and then i might look up stuff to say how how did that go again or find some yeah. links to something but I, I because I, I lived it, like you said, Brian, I I can just kind of bang it out. And then and almost all the things I write about, I have running somewhere like right behind me is my my treasured Atari Mega STE, my favorite computer ever. And when I do nice something, machine, by the way, yeah. when I go to write something about STs, I'm running it on here. I'm testing it on here and playing with it on here. And I got an, an Atari uh, 130XE in another room. It's the same thing. So I fire up the gadgets and I play with them. But I'm, I I've found a lot of the YouTube people tend to focus on the hardware side of things. And I'm not a hardware guy. I'm a software guy. So I used to stay away from that mostly. See, I'm kind of the same way. Like I, I, I know the software side. I don't know the hardware side all that well. Like, yeah, I, you know, built my own, you know, P IBM clone compatible PC in the nineties a couple of times, but like, Really? Like, I'm not an electrical engineer. I'm not a hardware engineer. I've written a few, like, weird little firmware things for hardware that other people built. But who am I to talk about the hardware side? I know the software, you know? Uh, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. <clears throat> One of the things I wanted to talk about with you two guys, since Bradford, you are enmeshed in, like you said, like the whole gamut. Of, of computer history, basically. And your readership wants you to talk about operating systems. And Paul, you are like Atari guy extraordinaire. Why? Like, I mean, I mean, I mean this in, in the most understanding and loving way. Like, I know why I do what I do, but I, I cover a lot of the retro things on my side of things out of 
well, I'll talk about that in a minute, but I want to know why you guys do it. Like, like Paul, you first, I get you like your ST. You think your Atari is fancy, but why on God's green earth would you spend so much time focused on it, using it, writing about it, chronicling about it, evangelizing it like you do? Why do that? Yeah, no, that's a great question. It's so simple. It's just why it gets right to the point. Why, well, man? Why? Yeah. Well, for me, it's it's essentially the first computer that I ever we ever had at home was an Atari. It was an Atari four hundred. That one with the terrible McDonald's, you know, membrane that, keyboard. That keyboard makes me angry. Like right, deep right. It's nice definitely machine, a horrible though, keyboard. And so we got that, and mostly we got that because before that we had an Atari twenty six hundred, and you know, I was never a big game player. I still am not today. And so I got bored with that pretty quick. And, uh, you know, the story I always tell people is my dad had a friend come over and typed uh, 10 print Paul, 20 go to 10. And my name scrolled down the screen. And I was just like, oh, my God, that is the coolest <laughs> thing I have ever seen. And uh, so I, I grabbed that as the name of my my newsletter, and that's that's kind of the the thing that kicked it off for me. And then I stuck with Atari stuff. Eventually, when I went to college, got an ST because uh, you know it's a it can do real things back in the late '80s that a, an 8-bit computer couldn't do. Talk and is cool, uh, man. but you know, like everyone else in the '90s, I moved away from those. Commodore and Atari went out of business. Their computers fell by the wayside. You only had uh, Mac and Windows for a while until Linux kicked into gear. And uh, but then in the 2000s, I was like, I miss those things. <laughs> And, uh, but I had kids, I had little kids. I didn't have time for a hobby. Those were, that was my time. And then, but my kids are grown now. So it's time for a hobby. And, uh, and what really kicked it off was my dad had our old 800 XL in the attic. And a few years ago he gave it to me and, uh, he, so I had it set up in here. I was playing with it. It was kind of cool, but I didn't use it too much. And, uh, so I needed a way to kind of force me to use it. And for me, the best way to force me to use the stuff that I wanted to use was to write about it. So I would use it and then write about it. And and that kind of just came together. And and the other thing that kicked off the writing is, you know, on a on a less happy note, my dad was diagnosed with dementia somewhat recently. And I thought this would be a great way to reminisce with him and bring up stories and stuff like yeah. that about the times that we had back then when we were, you know, playing with all this stuff. So that's that's the impetus for why I do this and keeps me going. It is just fun. I you never know. You never know what turns into retro. <laughs> so so now so your kids have grown. You, you you've 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 gotten rid of the kids at least in terms of being little kids anymore. And so you get to go back to your own childhood now. Yeah, in a way, in kind a way. Yeah, and my, my son doesn't like it when he comes back from college and he finds I've started to take over his bedroom with Atari computer equipment, but <laughs> <laughs> I like I like that idea. Honestly, man, if if I could have gone back, gone back home to parents or whoever's house and seen that my old bedroom turned into like a, an Atari museum, that would have been just joy. I'd have, I'd have been like, great, I'm sleeping here. I'm moving back in, but don't change anything about the room. Um, Bradford, is you're diving through this history side of things, but why? Why do that? Why why spend so much of your precious time chronicling the history 
of operating systems that nobody but us weirdos even touch anymore. You wrote an exceptionally good article about the history of Windows 2.0. Not even people at Microsoft used Windows 2.0. Like they, like Windows 1.0, sure, it's the first. Windows 3.0, sure, it was popular. But Windows 2.0, and you spent the time to write a history of it. And it was a good article. Why on earth would you do such a ludicrous thing? A lot of reasons. Um, <laughs> Lay it on me, buddy. The first one, and probably the most important, with like just getting into old technology. Um, in 2020, uh, actually late 2019, my wife was diagnosed with renal failure. Ooh. So... Um, you know, between taking care of her and working, I needed something to keep my brain occupied. So I didn't go really dark places. Yeah. Um, and history is great because there's a never ending amount of it. And um, so kind of combining two different interests, you know, history and computers, I was like, oh, this is interesting. Um, and then writing about it is different, though. Uh, that started due to um, the indutification, there we go, of the entire industry. Say what um, now? That was an awesome word. Trying to skip a curse. Oh, word you were censoring yourself. Now yes. I got it. That was a, okay. No, no, no. Excellent job censoring yourself. It just sounded like a real word I should know. No, and no, I no, was no, feeling no. stupid uh, because I failed Latin. Like I just, I felt like I was missing. Something. Okay, good. Continue, continue. But yeah, the, you know, the, the constant diminution of technology generally that nothing is usable. Uh, people are reinventing the past very poorly. Um, <clears throat> almost constantly and everyone thinks that their new thing is new and the truth though is like none of it is like memory management in windows there are certain pieces of code that are still from windows 2 if you yeah. use the 32-bit version of windows 10 yeah um the true. It's crazy <laughs> yeah the the ntvdms were a port of the virtual dos machines from windows 3 so that's still kicking yeah um, still rocking the and and seriously people think stuff is new but i'm i'm sitting here i'm like i don't know like the first hypervisor was on an ibm 701 like i don't uh, none of this is new literally none of it you're just doing it worse than it was done before and i think yes. if people don't know our industry's history this will just keep happening um, I just, I, we have to, I want to put out one of my favorite examples of that edge computing, that friggin' phrase. If you, because you heard about edge computing, it's computing yeah. that's not in the cloud. You mean like a computer? No, no, it's edge computing. It's at the, it's at the edge of the cloud. What, what do you mean it's at the edge of the cloud? It's, it's just a computer that's not in the cloud. And that, that drives me crazy because they have whole tracks at conferences, computing at the edge, an edge computing. It's like this brand new concept that's just a computer. <laughs> yeah. So like my Commodore 64 is, if I get it online, it's technically, you know, not in the cloud, but it's online. So it's edge compute. I can't handle it. 
I can't handle people who clearly have no idea what a computer was, even in the 90s, coming up with brand new phrases to describe computer. It drives me friggin' batty. So, yes, I'm with you, Bradford. I, I, it, yeah, it, people, you know, people need to learn something. I, I get frustrated. I do this to myself like every day. I go on Hacker News and I really shouldn't. Yeah, don't but do that. But it's like, it, it, it's a compulsion at this point. You might as well just go on Reddit, buddy. Like <laughs> at that point, you know what? Just just be done. Just call it a day. But I, it's all you over. know, for for it seems like for the majority of uh, young professionals in our industry that they are seriously living in a world where everything is online. They yeah. they don't understand that like my machine is not a dumb terminal. It's it's a computer and I can use it for computery things and I don't need to be connected. I don't need. Um, and not that there's anything wrong with a good old fashioned dumb terminal. Those Weiss terminals were rad. Yeah. But yes, I, I see what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, now I, I occasionally use my Z89 as a dumb terminal to other machines, but that's irrelevant. Um, <laughs> you know, I just, the 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 world that they live in and the world that i live in are completely different and i i honestly think it's that colleges don't require computing history there's you know if you if you learn about Maybe. art I... right you have to learn art history so right like if you go to RISD up in new england they're gonna force you to learn about all the old artists uh, you want to make new art? Great. But you got to learn all these old dead people first. Um, and if you want to, you know, learn, I don't know, um, what's another really good example? So you, you want to get a master's in English. Well, you're not just going to learn 20th century stuff. You're going to learn stuff from the 1600s. I mean, that's a fair um, point. Even even some engineering focus tree things like architecture. You have to do yeah, the historical yeah, architectural classes. You're right, but but they don't they don't require computer people to do any of that sort of thing. You're going going to be a DevOps person when you graduate, which is totally another made up word. But <laughs> you, you don't have to know about the history. You don't have to know. I I literally met a, a DevOps guy who was like a senior DevOps architect, whatever. He was like this big uppity up in his company. He had never heard the word sysop before. And I'm like, how old am I? Like, are, are you 12, dude? Like, this, this, was, this was confusing to me that someone who was a DevOps had never heard the word sysop before and had never used a BBS. I just, I can't, I can't, I can't even, I, I don't like to use that phrase, but this, this applies. I could not even at that point, it broke my brain. Yeah. I, uh, it's funny. I, so now I'm the director of engineering at a faith-based nonprofit here in Atlanta, but, um, the start of my career was at a web host and the junior level guys were sysops mid-level guys were sysadmins and then you had sysengineers yeah. as the senior senior level and uh <laughs> the the that particular section of the industry has changed names 50,000 times constantly um, and it's it, insane. and i 
I have a firm belief that it's because nobody actually wants to learn how to use Linux. <laughs> I think that's what it is. So they, they add an abstraction layer. They'll figure out one thing, add an abstraction layer over it, and never look at it again. And then you get this Katamari Damacy of tooling that's just constantly accreting on top of like bash and eventually it all breaks and then companies go under but yeah you know, yeah um, it's disastrous <laughs> well well some of what you're describing bradford to me is just you, you, what you're trying to do is give people essentially perspective on what they're doing today they you know they're doing stuff and they don't look back like you said i i Two of the most popular posts I wrote were about going online in the late 80s, early 90s, and how different that was than it is today, where, like, you know, you're just online 24-7 all the time. You don't have to think about it. And, you know, back then, you had to think about it, and it cost a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, something like CompuServe was like 10 bucks an hour to go online. And you factor in inflation and that's crazy. And now people will complain about, oh, I pay $50 a month for my phone. And, you know, you carry it with you and you're online 24-7. It's kind of a steal if you think about I mean, it. So. Comparatively. <laughs> while well, inflation goes like this, the price of getting online has been coming way down. <laughs> the, the worst part is it wasn't even just the uh, CompuServe charges. It was your phone. Yeah. Like, you know, if you, if you didn't have a local dial-up, uh, and you had to do a long distance call, man, that was pricey. Oh yeah, uh, the the monthly meetings with the roommates to sort over whose call was whose, so that you, yeah. oh, that one was to my parents. You got to pay that eight dollar one, you know. Yeah, exactly. And, I, I remember running a BBS in the nineties and being on FidoNet, um, which again for all of you youngsters out there is it was a big inner bbs network for messages and files that was not internet whatsoever but in order to get my messages from where i was at in seattle washington over to the east coast took about six days because Every night, each BBS would call another BBS to transfer those files and messages over. But none of us wanted to pay long distance charges. So none of us would, would dial all the way over to the East Coast. We dialed just far enough so it was still a local call. And we'd let each BBS do that until it hopped all the way friggin' over to New York or Atlanta, wherever things were going. And it automatically did that. But some messages would take six days or so to get there and six days to get back which was great for having a conversation that took a 12-day round trip but we didn't have to pay long distance that way it was fantastic but yeah we don't have to think about that stuff anymore yeah the first shareware program i wrote was something to let you download stuff overnight uh so you'd make essentially a queue it would connect to you know at the time i think i made it work with delphi and genie if you remember those online yeah. networks. and so awesome. you it, you would fill out this thing and it would connect, pull down all your messages, all your emails, the list of files you had tagged that you wanted downloaded. Because these things took, you know, minutes to hours to download. And it would do it overnight because, you know, again, I was a college student. I had roommates. And you know what roommates don't like is when you hog the phone with your computer all the time and you go to pick it up and it's making that noise that you hear in TV shows now that they use inappropriately. The I'll tell you, parents don't like it either. Man, did I get yelled at. Yeah. Parents pick up the phone line. It screams at them. They just yell at me, Brian. And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. You just screwed up my download, but okay. 
It's sad. I was uh, Dwayne in the in the chat room just said, "I hate to tell you guys this, but the day is coming quicker than we think when no one alive ever used a BBS." That is the saddest thing I can think of. There, he's right though. There's going to come a point in the not too distant future where the only people that will have ever used a dial up BBS or even tech dial up internet are the really old people. We'll be sitting in nursing homes with our broken hips and our false teeth talking about the internet and the dial-up and all the BBSs and all these things, and no one's going to have a clue what we're, thought, what we're talking about. And that's it's not far off. I, I tease so, my daughter who plays uh, Fortnite um, on yeah. the PlayStation, and every time she goes to play that game, she doesn't play it too often, I don't know, once every week or two maybe, Every time she starts it up, it's got an update or a download to do it. That's gigabytes in size. And it Every takes time. 20 to 30 minutes to download and install this on the PlayStation. I'm not exactly sure why. I think the PlayStation hard drive is just ungodly slow. <laughs> but I'll joke with her that, yeah, you know, I remember when I had my Atari 400 and I had to load Pac-Man off cassette. It'd take about 20 minutes. So we're still, we haven't really progressed here. Have we? It's just the same <laughs> as it used to be. <laughs> Well, this is, yeah, I mean, this is the kind of crap that I like to chronicle. Like, the the only thing I can say is that while um, bandwidth has improved for the modern era, if you contrast latency and bandwidth at various times in various places, it gets really weird. Um, so I forget exactly what it was but early unix versions and versions of basic people would take paper tape and load it into a suitcase so technically you're transmitting quite a bit of data all at once but your latency is like yeah. four days <laughs> yeah i mean i mean um, you're sneaker netting it you know you, you yeah. load, up, load up everything on a on a hundred megabyte zip drive and take it over to your friend's house it's a lot more data there quicker than than if you were doing it over 56k modem, but the latency kind of stinks. Yeah, it's. Uh, yeah. I kind of miss sneaker netting things. Uh, I, I kind it was of, a better time. I, I I I miss it. I miss the 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 tangibleness of it all. Too much stuff. You know what I miss? Related to that, that is, I really, really, genuinely miss physical media. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's getting to a point and it's not even a practical thing because like, yes, from a practical standpoint, I wish we had physical media. There's a million reasons why it's great. Yes. I miss touching them. I miss the sound of them. See, you guys are my men. You just well, are like, that, you're just like, what you're saying. <laughs> the sound of computing is an interesting thing in general because computers today are other than the fan noise on some of them are utterly silent. They have no yeah. more parts, but that, that ST, when I fire it up, I was initially thinking, Oh, I could have this thing on during the podcast and maybe have an Atari screen up. The fan in that wouldn't no. bode well. The, the mic I'm sure would pick up, but it, and I've replaced the fan on that. One of the only hardware things I've done with a quieter one, but it's still crazy loud. And then, it doesn't have a real hard drive in it anymore. It's got an SSD emulator sitting on top of it, so that's silent. But if I put floppies in, my stack of a, I must have a thousand floppies. The little chug, chug, chug is just so. Do you comforting. miss the hard drive sound though? I do miss the sound. Yeah, I, I don't miss the reliability problems. And no, no, <laughs> I, 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 I have I have a uh, a little Toshiba Libretto laptop. Right, it's a little low end Pentium laptop, runs DOS and everything like that. 
and I did the same thing. I pulled out the little laptop hard drive, put in a flash to IDE adapter so it's really fast, totally silent. It made the battery life almost double. I mean, it, it was a great upgrade in every way, but it doesn't make chunking noises anymore and i miss right. my chunking grinding noises well, when i when i got vibrate. this it's, what is going on when i got this mega stc st this came from germany i was talking to uh, uh one of the atari guys on mastodon he does uh, an atari podcast actually and i was lamenting that i can't find one of these because in the u.s these were rare i had one in college but they're not common now and when you do see them they're super expensive and he said just buy one from europe they're much cheaper because they were more common there, and they have a switching power supply, which was unusual for 80s equipment. Usually it was one for the, the area it was in. So I got one from Germany, and it was pretty cheap, and surprisingly it arrived in like three days. I don't even know how that was possible, but it literally it, I got a shipping notice on a Sunday, and it was here on a Wednesday. I'm like, how is that? Uh, but it came with a hard drive in it. A scuzzy hard drive. Yeah. And, uh, I turned the thing on and it just rattled. It sounds like you're starting up a Model T or something. It chuckled, click, 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 bunk, 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 bunk. And it takes like 10, 15 seconds before it's ready to even start loading things. I love uh, but that, I, though. I had to pull it out because it was only 50 megabytes and it was, you know, 30 years old. It oh, just... but come on. Back in those days, if you'd had a 50 meg SCSI hard drive, you'd have been yeah. the king. Yeah. You would have been the king of atari by having a 50 meg SCSI hard drive. That would have been awesome. I mean, but nowadays, yeah, you know, it's, it's like that little Toshiba libretto. I think it shipped with like a 200 meg little, little IDE hard drive. It now has a, a an SD card in it that's partitioned into eight two gigabyte partitions. It's infinitely faster, and I can store like every DOS game that God has ever created. I mean, it's crazy. But uh, let me ask you this: Let me ask you guys this: With how much time you guys dedicate to retro computing, how much do you actually? use your retro computers outside of your coverage like not not part of your coverage just part of your daily life your enjoyment whatnot but not for writing an article not for doing a show nothing about that just using a retro computer uh, uh, bradford do you do you do do you do any of that outside of your writing yes uh what do so you use? I actually I have a Turbo XT um, nice. that's literally sitting next to my Mac Mini and it's there constantly. Um, and then in the basement, the Z eighty nine I'll occasionally use as a dumb terminal. Nice. Um, and in that case, it's normally to my uh, now my Raspberry Pi five. It used to go to a little Ryzen first gen uh, Linux machine that I replaced with the Pi five. Um, and then uh, Compact Portable 386, um, I'll occasionally pull out and play SimCity on it. Those are um, fun machines. I love the yeah. Compact Portables. Um, I, and I, I don't do like um, the restoration articles or videos or anything like that. But uh, so I have a IBM PS2 Model 80 386 that I've been slowly restoring um that was difficult because nobody really bought ps2s 
So you run into like finding the correct parts. I like the PS2s. Like Those um, were fun. Those were fun machines. I uh, love the look. The look of the front of the PS2s always made me happy with their cool angles and everything on them. I just thought they were great. Yeah. It, I, I mean, I like every single machine I have. Um, even the ones that are a little bit boring. Um, so like the ZX81, nobody... I don't I don't think anybody ever actually messed around with ZX81s. I think people in Britain bought them and then put them in a closet and Yeah, I I picked one up on Facebook for like 20 bucks a year ago and I was like, yeah. "Oh, everybody talks about this thing. That was the worst computer I have ever oh, seen. It's, it's it was awful. so Those hard to use." Oh my yeah, god. Keyboard. I, so oh. I, I have an external oh. keyboard for mine that plugs into the expansion port and then there's a memory expander that plugs into that and there's a high color output expansion thing that plugs Holy into that heaven. and then there's yeah and it's just like five or six of these cards that slam together um so you built like it's, the it's mega a, spectrum like what holy no, heaven I, I tried i tried it's um it's like oh it's terrible though <laughs> especially like <laughs> If you, I love the thing, but it's awful. Um, I like, get if it. If you jostle it at all, mm-hmm. those expansion packs will come undone. So I have to get a giant rubber band to hold them all together. Um, I mean, it is awful. And there is like a modem for it that I've heard mention of, but I've never found. Um, like apparently these things were common in schools and they would be on like this weird ring network with a proprietary networking protocol. Um, but uh, absolutely bizarre stuff, but I love it. And I think the, the, you, you've talked about the immediacy of like old PS2 connectors and stuff. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I, I really love about old machines, even though they're slow, usually they subjectively feel more immediate in every way not just input output but um as an example if i control c in mac os or linux yeah there's no guarantee that whatever i'm doing is stopping zero there's there's no you know half the time i'm gonna have to go kill dash nine whatever pid number um if however i'm on an old cpm machine yeah I can it's kill done. immediately you, anything. You I want. kill it, it's yeah. dead. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, like there, it's good to know. It's you know that kind of thing. To me, there there's uh, just a certain joy you get from that immediacy that no modern machine replicates. Um, and then there's like this psychological thing that I can understand most of these old machines. Um, you know, like the the hardware, the software, the whole thing. Yeah. I can conceptually hold it in my head. Um, whereas now it's like your computer, calling your modern computer a computer is kind of erroneous because there's a computer embedded in your hard drive that makes your hard drive work. There's a computer that's embedded in your network card making your network card work. There's, I mean, it, it is. It's gotten so yeah. infinitely complex. You almost can't. You almost can't feel like a sense of ownership over it like you could in the old days. You mean, yeah. when you use like when you fired up an eight bit Atari machine or an Apple IIe, if you spent enough time with it, you knew how 
everything worked. You knew yeah. what noises it made. You knew what vibrations it made when it was thinking about certain tasks. I always liked when I wanted to launch a piece of software and I could tell what software I was launching from the vibrations of the machine because of, because of the hard drive crunching and grinding. And it just got to the where... floppy. It would be the copy protection yes. on the floppy would make the drive make specific noises specific for certain games. Specific yeah. noises, right? And you feel a sense of, I almost, it's not even ownership. It's like a kinship. It was an extension of you. You felt it yeah. intrinsically in your soul. So I, I, I'm getting distracted. Paul, Paul, I want to I ask you this, the same question I asked Bradford. Do you well, use the, your Atari machines outside of, of the writing at this point? The one I use the most outside of the writing is my Atari calculator <laughs> that I'm showing right here. Uh, this, you know, I I work from home. I work here, and you, you know, you need a calculator. <laughs> need and a sometimes calculator. it's just you don't want to pull up the one on the Mac to type in something. You know, you just so I'm like, ooh, I'm typing a little simple thing on my Atari calculator. It makes me happy, even though it's just a calculator. But I totally get uh, that. You know, for most. And I think I mentioned it earlier. I started my newsletter to give me an excuse to use my retro equipment because otherwise I found I wasn't using them. I will occasionally play games on them. Um, I mostly probably use the 8-bit Atari for games because I, I was younger when I had that and I played yeah. more games on it. When I got the ST, I was in college and I didn't use it for that many games, although Dungeon Master was, and Dungeon Civilization. Dungeon <laughs> where are still two games I do play on it. My my son, you know, would play Civ Six on his, you know, gaming PC, and I would fire up Civ One, the original version, on this yeah. SD and show it to him, and he would just be like, "Square wow, time, how you, baby. How can you see anything? It's all blocky." But but even if I if I do do something like that, like go to play a game on something, I will make a point to like take notes and photos and stuff because I'll probably turn it into a post at some point. <laughs> funny <laughs> why not why not right i think it's funny you mentioned civ one i went on this quest at one point to collect all of the civ games civ one through civ three in box complete um and i managed to get most of them brand new never opened but it was like civ one civ two plus the expansions civ three plus the expansions um civilization call to power call to power two and so alpha centauri <laughs> yeah those um those games like my first computer was an atari 800 xl um and then i inherited an xt from my father so basically every time he upgraded i got his old machine um so when i got his xt civ one came into my life and from then on man like I've been a fanatic for those games. Um, just marvelous. And uh, the Sim games too, but never The Sims. I hated, I hated they're the not, Sims. They're not the equivalent, no. It's not the same. But, uh, it's not the same. But I've got like Sim Farm, Sim Ant, uh, Sim City, uh, Sim City 2000. They're fantastic uh, Sim, games. Sim Earth, Sim Life. I don't know. There's a ton of them. Any anything with a Maxis and or Sid Meier logo on the front, with for a while I would just go for. Oh, I'm like okay, Same. I'll give this a try. You know, we'll we'll see until until the Sims and then Spore. I mean, Spore was fun for like a day. Yeah, I could get into it. 
Yeah, I just wasn't I've like ever, Yeah, uh, and 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 that and like. it tells you we're not alone in that because spore has kind of so many kids nowadays are gonna be like, what the heck is a spore? See, yeah. like it was a big deal for like six minutes, and then it just kind of went away. Um, that, that, that does remind me very briefly, uh, Brian. You asked about using the computers, and one thing I do do that uh, I've done forever is, and I write about this a lot too, is old computer magazines. Yeah, I have an enormous collection of old computer magazines and I love buying them on eBay because nobody wants magazines except me apparently. So I just wait till they keep lowering the prices and I like, I'll take your crappy smelly magazines, but fun to I, read. I love holding them in my hand, flipping yes. through them, looking at the old advertising, reading the old articles. Oh, yeah. And I, you know, in the summer, we'll just have a stack of magazines sitting out on the deck with me and I'll be reading, you know, computer, you know, Byte magazines from 1983 sitting on the back deck. And it oh, is the just golden age of Byte, those early 80 Byte. Yeah, it's just, it's great. So I love computer magazines and I will read those all the time. And from my perspective, from my newsletter's perspective, my stack of magazines is just an endless supply of things to write about. Uh, Same. So, uh, I, yeah. Byte especially, like the in-depth technical coverage that they gave early on. Oh, yeah. Um, there in, in some interviews and stuff, and like, I forget the guy's name, but the the Microsoft executive who was managing Xenix wrote like a five-page article in yeah. Byte. Um, so when I covered Xenix, that was outrageously helpful. Um the the for me though um my stack of physical bite magazines is not very large um i have digital copies of almost all of them and it was one of the things that made me use my mac mini more often actually was that i could do a spotlight <laughs> search and it would give me bite articles uh from the pdfs um Otherwise, I only had this because if you want to develop Apple software, you have to have a Mac. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I feel your pain on that one. <laughs> yeah. So it's an entry level mini, but it is super helpful for searching through Byte Magazine. So there's that. Um, but I, I have like the uh, IBM special editions and stuff. Um, and similar to you, I like to go out on my back porch, of course, normally with a cigar and a cup of brandy. But uh, read through <laughs> bite articles. Living the sweet life, baby. <laughs> I get it. I get yeah, it. it's just a, it's so much fun. Yeah, at this point, I probably have I've got entire years. I have all of 1986, all of 85, Not bad. Uh, nice. and then a huge collection from like 78 to 84 of issues throughout the years. So I. I've got two, like, you know, if you bought, if you went to Staples and bought one of those big boxes of printer paper, I have two of those filled with Byte magazines that, uh, nice. and Byte magazine, you know, was one that was like four or 500 pages in its heyday. So mm -hmm. it, it's not like you can necessarily just read one. You often will be like, what do I feel like reading about today? You check the table of contents and you read a couple things, you put it back in the box. So they, they kind of, you get used repeatedly. Yeah, man, I I used to devour those. I want to say it was the the very early 90s, like 91, 92, when I was really just like I was 
I finally had a computer that was mine. You know, I had this 286 that got handed down to me and it was the first computer that was my own. Not that I was using the words of the families, but it was mine. And I remember I got a couple of older issues of Byte that were like three or four years old, but it was perfect because my computer was older. And so I was able to read magazines from when my computer was still a little long in the tooth, but relevant. And I was able, and I just sit down and I just devoured these like three or four different issues of, of Byte magazine, cover to cover over one summer. And like, this was just like, they were, they were my Bible. I, I loved those, those magazines. I, I never had a subscription to it, you know, cause I was a kid. I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't afford a subscription to Byte magazine. I couldn't even afford to buy one issue of Byte magazine unless it was, you know, two years old and at a garage sale for a dime. But, oh, man, did I love it. And it makes me sad that we can't get that nowadays. It makes me sad that there's not really an analog equivalent to to those computer magazines, those those things that kind of brought the whole nation, in some cases the world of nerds, together <laughs> in that way. I mean, the closest we've got is – you know, people like you guys writing over on Substack and I write over here and then there's a couple of folks on YouTube over there and that's what we've got. And it's kind yeah, of it's sad. definitely scattered and and it's and it's hard. I mean, something like Byte had a huge staff at the time. They had, yeah. you know, well, they must have had a half million subscribers, I'm going to guess, in their heyday, maybe more. And so, I mean, they could afford to spend months on research and articles much like you know bradford does i'm sure and uh, <laughs> but you know not everyone can do that and then and, you know and, and writing isn't usually everyone's full-time gig so it's not like you can yeah. you know spend all that time on it so it's it's hard to to get to that level of detail on anything and and, and people these days like you know the quick hits the little the quick fixes so shorter you know shorter fluffier stuff is often what gets uh, consumed that's why you I started know, breaking articles up. Yeah, I noticed readership plummeted if a if an article was too long. Um, so I'll those are nice though. When I have one that I can split up, that gives me you know two to four weeks to to get something else finished. Um, so that it is nice, but it's painful in the sense that it's like now I have to arbitrarily pick where in this story i'm cutting it's off hard to do yeah and um so i kind of hate it but it was like my my article on sun um just too Good long one. yeah uh so like the people who read it are really dedicated to it and everybody else just skipped that one because they open it and like the scroll bar gets this big um, <laughs> it's too intimidating man <laughs> yeah so now I split them up um, if it gets to be too long. And then sometimes they're still too long. Um, but yeah, the quick hits that everybody's looking for, it's like, you know, I can't that, do that, it. That, that's been a hard to do thing for a long time. I mean, I've written for a couple of publications before all of them went bankrupt. But, you know, it was always an issue of we have you know, uh, one full page with a couple of, of inserts and then another single column on a second page. That's how much space there is for the article. We need to squeeze it into there and it makes you twitchy because you end up having to cut all sorts of stuff out and shoehorn things in. And, and I mean, it's always been, 
it's always been a little bit of a problem because with the print magazines, the more you print, the more it costs. And you, you probably aren't going to jack up the price of the magazine because right. of that. And it, and it's only worth it. Like, uh, like for, you know, back when Linux journal and many other magazines were running, it was only worth it to write the longer article. If you had enough sponsors and advertisers to fill those pages in, if you didn't have enough sponsors and advertisers, you start taking the ax to the article and start chopping it right. down. Well, that's until, when you uh, look at a bite, a 400 page bite, I'd say 200 pages are ads. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. And to yeah, pay for it. Those ads are even valuable. Um, oh yeah, definitely. I love seeing the pricing and just some of the, so yeah. you know, I, I wrote about this recently is too, is like back in the eighties software was unbelievably expensive. Yeah. Compared yeah. to what people can, I mean, most software is free today because it comes with a computer or something where it's just open source and you can just use that or whatever. But back then you wanted a word processor. You, it wouldn't be surprising. You were paying hundreds of dollars for a word processor. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, nowadays it's laughable. No one would pay no one would pay two dollars for a word processor. For a word processor. It's and of course, when I say those numbers, I always and I notice a lot of us writers are starting to do this now. Is we tend to we make sure when we quote a price, oh, Microsoft Word retail for three ninety five in nineteen eighty three or whatever, and then you put in parentheses, and that's this much in twenty twenty three because <laughs> yes. that stuff is even more expensive than you think. It's and, crazy. Yeah. Well, and the the funny thing about pricing too. This is how I discovered just how flawed Wikipedia is. Um, Wikipedia would say that a product launched at this or that price on this or that day and this or that year. I flip open a byte and I'm like, oh, that's wrong. Because I have advertising right here. There's, a, there's a, a place to order it from and it was a different price. So I don't know where you source that, but garbage. <laughs> garbage. Um, so now I have to go, you know, so I, I now I'll use like Wikipedia as a, as a place for sources, but I completely discount whatever they wrote. You mostly um, have to. I, and nine times out of 10, they'll have that little link that's like, oh, this is sourced from here. And then you go there and it doesn't say anything like what the article says. No, no. Okay. Most of the, was it like the top 20 or 30 Wikipedia editors? They are not experts on the things that they're filling in on Wikipedia about. They're just doing searches, copying and pasting text here and there and, and plopping it into, into Wikipedia pages. That's just kind of how Wikipedia works. So, but, but along those lines though, one of the things that got me into writing any sort of history articles was how often even tech writers are astoundingly wrong. Like I, I got so yeah. tired of, of reading, of going to, you know, even like, even the good publications, like the register, like the register normally does a pretty good job of, you know, digging into the topics at least a little bit. And I'd go to the register and they'd, they'd wax, you know, about the past and they'd be like, Oh, and this was like back in the sixties when computing was like this. And they would always be wrong. And I was like, no, 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 no. They'd say something from the 80s. And I'm like, I was there and you're wrong. And I'd have to go write an article about it. Like, this is like, I, I get that you're a 12 year old and you just got your first Macintosh, but let me tell you why you're wrong. Like, I, it, it drove me crazy how many things get repeated over and over again. It's like, uh, I talk a lot about like the myths of in, in computing, you know, like, like uh, the first bug being a moth is one of my favorite ones. I like to bring that one up regularly because that's 
totally a made up thing. Like, like it's based on a somewhat real story, but every single tech writer out there likes to be all witty and tell everyone repeatedly over and over again, computer bugs are named bugs because they found a moth once in a computer. I'm like, you can say that over and over again and you can pretend like it's true, but it's not. <laughs> like it just drives me insane after a while. That's what really got me going with writing computer history was just how wrong everyone was. It's like we're playing a like the Japanese telephone game, but with computer history. It's like yeah. and at this point, it's it's 22-year-old tech writers quoting other 22-year-old tech writers, and none of them have ever studied or used computers that existed before 1999. And it just, it slowly yeah. makes me go insane. And so I love when I see you guys with your, with your facial hair and your, and your, your, your dad shirts and, and whatnot, and you clearly, <laughs> you clearly know this stuff, and you're actually out there writing about it. And my hope is that the writers that that are still employed, the the few of them that aren't artificial intelligence yet, um, are quoting you guys more often. <laughs> One can hope. One can but break hope. My inspiration is just to write like the fun. I mean, essentially, my inspiration is writing like the fun magazines from then which is yeah. articles that people find interesting. And, you know, I've got this one here that I happen to have on my desk. This is an old Atari user. This is dated October 1991. Now, I'm pretty sure some this is a weird one because Atari was on the downswing there. So it's not a glossy magazine. It's newsprint. It's very low quality. It's only 40 pages, counting the covers. And But, but it just got some fun articles in here. But I don't think any of this is online. I think I might have one of the only copies of whatever materials in here. And so it's I got to take care of fuck. Of yeah. it. I got to figure, and I don't have a mechanism for scanning stuff. And I kind of feel obligated at times to get some to stuff archive scanned. It. Yeah. Yeah. So some stuff I've scanned when I can, but like I ha I wrote about a compiler, a Pascal compiler last week, and I picked up on eBay the full manual set for it. And I, I've been searching for this for 10 plus years on the internet, so couldn't find it. And I don't know how I stumbled on the auction on eBay, but I immediately grabbed it. But I now have the manual set here, which is outside my office sitting in a uh, sealed container trying with some baking soda trying to get the smell out. But uh, uh, the yeah. I, it, it really needs to be scanned, but it's 800 pages in three volumes. And I'm like, this would take me God two days at, at best. <laughs> Right. So it's, and that's it's assuming, yeah, it's it's a lot. It's a lot. I mean, archiving all this history is is a huge task. I mean, Bradford, you're taking on the whole gosh darn thing. <laughs> and 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 you know, and Paul, God bless you. You're going in depth on the Atari stuff. So now it's at least what's nice is I know that there are certain little bits. There's you guys, and there's a couple other writers out there doing kind of similar things in their own niche niches. And it's nice to know that details are getting recorded right broad strokes of history are getting recorded and details are getting recorded because it's so much of it is is being lost it's like someone in the chat room said just uh, just a little while ago i mean there's going to come a point not too long from now where nobody alive will have used a dial-up bbs and yeah. And while that's not necessary, we don't need dial-up BBSs going forward. I, I though I would like them more. But, but the fact that we've lost that not only that knowledge but that experience is just dreadfully sad to me. It's sort of like it's sort of like when we get to the point where 
pretty soon there won't be anyone alive who used punch cards to input data on some of the bigger machines that existed. I mean, we've we've already lost a lot of them, and and we're gonna lose the rest of them pretty pretty soon here, uh, and that to me is a is a sad thing because it's not just the technical details of it, but that experience. Like, what does it feel like as the card reader pulls the paper tape in, and the sounds and the vibration it makes as the little the little prong sensors detect where the holes are and it scans everything through and like how how does that feel? What is that experience like? We're losing that. I mean, you know, we we only have a couple of people left that did that as a profession, and that to me is is sad. And before long, all the Atari guys will be old and gone too <laughs> well the funny thing is that, yeah, I, I was going to say atari as a company name still exists as a yeah. you know and they keep pushing out retro related things but not much in the way of computers as of yet although i think i saw they announced a atari 400 mini that they did they announced out. a 400 mini that has compatibility with the 400 and 800 so which is it, it, it's cool yeah it's just a little a little emulator box and that's right cool. i hate I like those. that I hate them. Yeah, but it, I it, hate it's, them. it's yeah, fun. I'm not going to get one. It's fun, Bradford. It it doesn't replace it doesn't replace Paul's actual equipment behind him by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. And yes, the, I agree with Bradford. Before you even say anything, I agree it would be cooler if they came out with like a big Atari 800, right? Or like or like a Falcon. Like if Atari came out with with the new Falcon that was literally just an old Falcon, but using you know. What I mean, like with an actual keyboard and everything. Yes, I would buy that. Yes, it would be awesome. But the little ones are still kind of. Yeah. Well, the problem for me is all these little, you know, things they put out are completely always focused on gaming. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, you know, I don't care about that. And if I wanted to play those games, there's other ways that aren't that difficult. So, so it's the other parts that I am more interested in are just ignored or lost. And that's that's sad. But. Well, especially like one of my things that I like people tried to argue with me on this. And so then it's like, okay, now I have to go pull out the sources and show you. Um, And so that was like the origin of the VisiCalc article was an argument that I had where I was like, no, like the thing that sold the microcomputer was spreadsheets. That's it. That's what did it. Like you can, you can say it was gaming. You can say that it was the internet, but like it was spreadsheets. Spreadsheets no, was the killer it. app. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, Mitch Kapoor created Lotus when he left VisiCalc and took the IBM market. Um, and then eventually Microsoft finally decided to port Excel from the Mac to windows. Um, but when you, which was really cool by the way the way they ported multiplan and excel everywhere was awesome they created a p-code runtime interpreter that was c-like or a c-like language and they just ported that engine everywhere it was sort of like um like what uh like like uh uh, what sierra online and lucas arts and everything did for their adventure games they just ported the engine everywhere and so at one point yeah you had multi-plan and excel for something like 12 different old architectures it was awesome like it was just everywhere anyway sorry i just thought that was cool (laughs) well it is and that's exactly my point though stuff like that like when when you release something that just plays the game 
It doesn't, it doesn't give you any of the application software. It doesn't show you how people would have used this thing in its heyday. Yeah. It doesn't replicate every feature. Um, I get that 90% of people just want to play their old games and that's great, but yeah, I get what you're saying. Keeping the essence of the thing alive is important to me. Um, So for example, if you're using an Atari or a Commodore and you don't have the disc drives, um, you're not going to experience what it was actually like to load the game. No, you're, you're not going to experience or uh, another another great example uh, for Atari especially is on my 800XL, the tactile feel of that keyboard is incredibly unique to me. Like I can immediately tell without looking if it's an 800XL because I use that thing every day. It was part know, of you. Five, six years, <laughs> something like that. Uh, very formative. Learned how to code on it. Um, I know a lot of people learned like assembler for their eight bits. I never did. I just used basic. Yeah. Um, same here. I didn't. Yeah. yeah I was more of a basic guy. Yeah. 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 I, I, I dabbled in assembly, but I was, I was well, that's, that's kind of why I'm such a big Atari proponent too. Although I mean, it could be a little revisionist on my part, but it's just, <laughs> I always felt the, at least the eight bit computers were, were a little more route well-rounded than in my perception. I've never really used one, so I could be making stuff up. But like a Commodore 64, which to me seemed very gaming-focused. People were buying those as a glorified gaming computer, and I didn't get the impression they were doing as much other work on them. And uh, and then today, that seems to be all you ever hear is playing games on the Commodore 64. I don't know what else the darn thing could do. Uh, well, the, but... yeah, the Commodore 64 was an amazingly capable machine, but you're right. The the gaming overshadowed everything else. Uh, it, it, yeah, it, and it, my friend group that they just bought one to play games and never yeah. used it for anything else. And you know, and when I, I look I at magazines with it, but with yeah, when I look at and everything else, but gaming yeah. was it. Yeah, the magazines. You know, when they printed programs for the Commodore 64, they I always thought they they would have been really difficult to learn from because the basic that it came with seemed to be so limited. The programs all looked like a bunch of poke and peek statements throughout them. And like, how am I going to learn anything from this? It's like assembly, but bad. And it was... Uh, so, you know, that's, that's my bias on that. And I, in a little bit of envy because you know how popular it ended up being the Commodore 64, but... I have a VIC-20 and... It's great, but it is an atrocity of ergonomics. <laughs> like if you if you yeah. actually sit down yeah. and try to type on that thing, like you're gonna get RSI by the end of the year. Like like serious problems. They're horrible. They're and I know I just you're not a lot wrong. Of angry about the Brad no, you're whatever, you're but... uh, Bradford is one hundred percent right, ladies and gentlemen, and it's not just the atrocious layout of the arrow keys. I mean, it's it's problems all throughout it. Yeah. I mean, it's it is it is atrociously bad. And 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 to Paul, your your point about uh, about the basic on like some of those machines was is totally spot on. It's all of the all of the computers that licensed Microsoft Basic. They just took this, the standard Microsoft Basic, sometimes with a few little additions, and usually Microsoft Basic 2.0. And then, in order to do anything extra that used the hardware, you needed to peek and poke in order to get around it because they didn't have the additional cool, you know, functions added in to take advantage of the of the hardware of the 64. You had to peek and poke to do it. Uh, so it was so it was so limited and 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 narrowed down, but. 
They were the thing that always killed me about the Commodore 64 that I would tease my friends about was you couldn't like auto start a game. I don't believe you like on the Atari, you put a disc in the drive, turn the Atari on disc loads games on the screen. But the Commodore, as I recall, you had to yeah, like, load. you had to type something load, yeah, load something. comma, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And blah, I always blah, thought that was blah. weird. And, and the drive seemed to be so slow compared to all the other systems. And there's probably historical reasons for that. But I just remember compute well, would have articles. I'm like, speed up your disk drive. So it runs the speed of every other system out there. And I'm like, why yeah, is it so slow loader. to begin with? Fast loader. Um, the, the two things I'll say real quick about Commodore. The first one is they had a perpetual license for the first version of basic they got for the Kim one. So they never, you know, got an updated version. Well, that would uh, so make that sense. So bad. Because, yeah, Jack um, Trammell yeah. was notoriously cheap. He totally would have used that over Oh, yeah. Over. Yeah. He was a I, the ST got burnt by decisions like that, too, over its years. Yeah. And then as far as the slow disk reads and all these other things, um, and there will be people who are mad about this, too, but whatever. <laughs> Lay it um, on me, Bradford. <laughs> the pet was a Kim one with a screen and a keyboard attached. Yep. And the VIC-20 was a pet in a bread bin, basically, basically. Uh, without the without the screen and a crappier keyboard. Well, if you go first uh, pet, better keyboard. If better you go, keyboard than the first pet. Yeah. If you go I mean, I love the pets. Not as the good. pet is an Egyptian masterpiece of cool lookingness. No doubt yeah, about well, it. Well, you know, and the VIC- difficult. The VIC-20's keyboard is a billion times better than the Atari 400 keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> then, the, then the 400, yes. Yes, yes. That's not wrong. Um, that, key, that Atari 400 keyboard might as well have been a Sinclair. It was bad. Yeah. And when you when you get to the C64, you finally have a few extra chips to yeah. aid with graphics and sound, but you're you effectively still on a PET, which is hmm. a Kim 1, um, yeah. effectively. And I mean, more or less, the same basic yeah, like roots, that, yeah. That super limited design of the Kim One as a demo for the Moss sixty five hundred two is what hampered connectivity. So you end up having to have another sixty five hundred two over on the disk drive to control the disk mechanism, and then you're sending data over serial, um, and it's unidirectional. So that, so that disk drive had it was a computer essentially. Yes. 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 Oh. Yes. It had its own. It, it had its own little controller in it, and so when you were when you were issuing a command, you were issuing a command to your computer to send a command to the disk drive to tell the disk drive computer to start loading stuff and send stuff back to you. And then I, I kind of remember waits for all of it. Yeah, that the Commodore didn't have a DOS that loaded like the Apple and the Ataris did Correct. and the PCs. Uh, okay. Yeah, it didn't. Yeah, it, it didn't do a whole heck of a lot. I mean, it, it lo- you basically loaded right into Basic, and Basic had some commands for loading other programs and stuff, and that's about it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it worked. It worked, but yeah, that's well, that's all it was. Is something that worked because you had a computer. I mean, if you had a yeah. computer, not many people had computers back then. So if you had one, you were you know the cool one in it your computer nerd group. But the... <laughs> and and again. Unlike machines of today, you could understand all of it and feel a connection and yeah. kinship with it that it's almost impossible to do nowadays. Uh, 
Uh, we're, we're coming up at the end here. Uh, thank you guys. Uh, thank you guys, not just for coming on the show today, but thank you guys for doing what you do. If, if none of you out there in the viewing and listening audience are subscribing to these dashing gentlemen, uh, uh, Paul, again, tell everyone your universal resource locator. <laughs> you can just go to go to 10 retro, all one word.com and uh, check it out. You can read. I post free posts every Friday and paid posts on Mondays and, uh, you know, it. give it a look, see, see what you like. You can subscribe. So you get notifications and new stuff. That's about it. Love it. Love it. Uh, same for you, Bradford. Give me that URL. www.abortretry.fail all my articles start out as paid uh, and then after you know two three weeks they'll become free Um, and I cover everything from the very first operating system through Debian 12 and hardware um, various companies productivity software whatever love it so love it and you you cover Windows Millennium Edition which again was Oh man, yeah. that brought up so many horrible memories from my time working there. Oh, oh, that was that was one of my least favorite product launches in history. Was was working on the the Windows Millennium Edition around that. Oh my gosh, that was awful. I mean, I know it's cliche to make fun of Windows ME. I, I know it is, but people inside Microsoft hated it more than anybody. It was not a fun time. <laughs> it was not a fun time. Um, anyway, thank you, boys. Uh, and ladies and gentlemen, definitely go check them out. Uh, there are not a lot of great people writing about historical and retro computing that actually know their stuff and don't make Lunduke frothing angry because of all of the inaccuracies. And these are two of them. Uh, so go check them out. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, nerds and nerdettes, I do declare and run No drag.